are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. If it had a title, it'd be called Staying Alive. Both the Celtics and the Stars keep their seasons going with wins last night. I'm finally going to get to that Texas Rangers stat that's only about, oh, I don't know, four days old, five days old now. I'll get to that for you. We're going to talk a little bit more about NBA offseason and the story in golf for the last week kind of came to a crashing halt yesterday. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So let's start in the NBA last night. Celtics stay alive, force a game six with a 110-97 win over the Heat. And, you know, it's it's one of these deals where I said it yesterday that it's never happened in NBA history. No one's ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. 150 teams were up 3-0 at one point, and 150 teams won the series. Only three even forced a game seven. So a lot of people, I already hear the narrative, a lot of people will say game six is now Miami's game seven because they feel that, well, if Miami loses a game six and then loses three in a row, they're not winning a game seven. My question to them would be, why not? After Miami went up 3-0, Boston had no momentum. Then all of a sudden, if they win game six, they'll have won three in a row. So why does that mean they'll win four? Miami didn't win four in a row. So it's just a silly narrative. You could say like, yeah, but Steve, Boston has all the momentum. They've won three in a row, and they're headed home for game seven. Great. Miami beat them twice this series in Boston. Boston only won one in Boston. Sure, if you're Miami, you don't want to be in that position. You don't want to have to go back to Boston for a game seven. But Boston still has a ton of history working against them in that nobody's ever done it. Now, for the longest time, nobody had ever beaten a one seed in the NCAA tournament either. Ever since it had started a 64-team field, it had never happened until University of Maryland-Baltimore County beat Virginia back in, what was it, 2019? And then it happened again this year with Purdue losing. So, now granted, that was only, I, I don't know the number, but it was I think it was over 100, 101 seeds had beaten the 16 seeds. So, you, I mean, obviously, if you're a Boston fan, that's what you're holding your hopes out for, that we're going to be the first team to do it. But every team in the 150 that have all failed were always the ones saying, we're going to be the ones to do it. It's like, talk to me after game six. And even then, it's still anybody's series. It's a 3-3 series. If Boston wins game six, it's a 3-3 series with one game left. I don't care where the game is played. It hasn't mattered. Boston is 12-13 and 13 in their last 25 games at home in the playoffs. It's not a home court advantage. If it was, they'd be 23-2 and two in their last 25 playoff home games. They're not. They're 12-13. and 13. So it's still right all there for Miami. They just need to win game six, and Boston winning games four and five don't mean anything. They'll be like, okay, great. They put up an effort, won two games, but they lost a series to an eight seed. So we'll talk about it. If it happens, at this point, it's like you, you can sit there and dissect the game. You can break down the actual basketball side of it. It's very simple. 
when Boston shoots over 40% from three-point range, they win. And last night, did they do it again? You bet your ass they did. Well, they were at one point. The final total was, yes, 42% from three-point range, 16 of 38. Miami, 9 of 23. When you get outscored by 21 points at the three-point line and you lose by 13, I think that says a lot. Boston couldn't do shit from the three-point three-point line in the first three games. These last two games, they've shot well. They made 19 in game four, 16 in game five. That's the formula. It's very, very simple. I can sit here and talk about X's and O's until we're blue in the face. I don't know how a team is going to play before the game. Nobody does. So all I'll say is Miami still, overall this postseason, has played better than Boston. They've got game six on their home court. They've lost two in a row. Yes, that doesn't mean Boston has the momentum because if you're using that logic, then when Miami won the first three games of the series, you could have said Miami has all the momentum. They're going to close them out and win the fourth game in a row. Didn't happen. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, it's it's certainly now an interesting series. Winning one game and winning game four in Miami, it was like, okay, they won one. Now, I didn't even think that was remotely interesting. Now, I'd say the game, the series, is now interesting. Because of those 150, I don't know the exact number. I know 91 or 92 of them ended in a sweep. And we only know three went to a game seven. So 92 and 95. So 55 of the the 150 teams that were up 3-0 that ended up winning the series, 55 of them went to a game five and six. I don't know the breakdown. I don't know if it's 28 and 27, whatever, if it's even or what. But 55 of the 150 went to a game five or six. Miami knows what they have to do. Boston knows what they have to do. Play the game, 48 minutes. Let's see what happens. In hockey last night, Dallas Stars saved their season at least for another two days. They win in overtime, their first overtime win of the playoffs. They had been 0-4. Vegas Golden Knights had been 3-0, so it wasn't looking well as it went into overtime, especially when they said no team had ever lost five overtime games in an NHL playoff season. That was staring the Stars directly in the face without their captain, Jamie Benn, and they're going to be without him on Saturday for Game 5 from the two-game suspension where he tried to plant the guy's Mark Stone's face through the ice. But a good win. I mean, it showed some character. It it gave them a little bit of life. Doesn't mean much, just like the Miami Heat and Boston Celtics series. If the Stars can win Game 5 in Vegas, then I would say things have just gotten interesting. But the bottom line is they still have to win four in a row. Only four times in 204 instances has it ever happened where – a team was down 0-3 and came back to win a series in hockey. That's 99% working against them. Vegas is such a good defensive team. Three of these four games have gone to overtime. I told you yesterday or the day before, and I'll tell you again. If Dallas loses this series, they are kicking themselves for not splitting in Vegas when they lost both games in overtime. Game two was the one they should have had. Dominated the game for 57 minutes, 58 minutes, and then gave up that goal two minutes uh, before the end of regulation, and then within the first three minutes of overtime, gave up the uh, the game winner 
and that was deflating. And then we don't even want to talk about what happened in game three. That was just embarrassing. But they have a chance. It's, it's, it's a small chance. Look, I'm a Stars fan. I want them to win the series. As you know, I have a bet on them to win the Stanley Cup. But I still don't think they're going to win this series. I just I, – I, the numbers are too big. I'd love for them to do it. I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, if they win game five, I'll say, huh, it's a little interesting, but they still got to – they still have only accomplished half of their mission. They needed to win four games in a row. If they win game five, they've won two. They have no room for error. That's why game two was such a nut kick. Because then game three's embarrassment only put you down, would have put you down two games to one. You win game four like you did. It's 2-2 going back to Vegas. It's a whole new series. That's what I'm most disappointed in was that game two loss. So they have a chance game Saturday night and you know, you just, you hope and pray. Jake Ottinger played better. I thought Vegas played well last night. Dallas just got a goal in overtime. You know, it's, it's, it's a game of inches. Hockey playoffs. Three of these four games go to overtime. I mean, when you're in overtime, as I told you, the second anyone takes a slap shot, anytime the puck is passed into the, you know, centered right in front of the goal, you just, you hold your breath because you just never know what's going to happen. Two times in game one and game two, it favored Vegas. Last night, it favored Dallas with Joel, Joel Pavelski's, Joe Pavelski's slap shot uh, to win it in the OT session. Great slap shot, great play. I, Dallas deserved to win last night. Just because I think they played better overall. They played harder. They didn't lay down. They fell behind twice in the game. Fell behind 1-0. Tied it at 1. Fell behind 2-1. Tied it at 2. And then win 3-2 in overtime. Just a, a gutty effort by a team that I thought was going to be done. Down 0-3. Lose your captain. Such negative vibes coming off of game 3. Where not only did your captain do what he did and get ejected. You had the fans throwing shit on the ice at the end of the second period. Just an ugly, ugly night altogether, and you just figure, oh, man, it's over. And they really show, and then they fall behind twice last night. They really showed a lot of heart. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm glad they didn't get swept. But I, I'm i not holding my breath for a Game 5 win. I, I, I honestly think, as much as I want to see it, I'm being objective. They are the team that I want to win. I will benefit monetarily if the Stars do win. And I'm sitting here telling you, I don't think they're going to. I want them to, but if you ask me to bet game five just in and of itself, I think Vegas closes them out. So we'll see what happens. All right, moving back to the NBA, there's obviously a lot of talk about free agency moves, and I gave you my opinion yesterday that I said, I don't know who it's going to be, but I think we're going to get one major move this offseason, and some team is going to land somebody that nobody is talking about right now. One of the names making the rounds, and I think this is clearly for just a talking point, rating shtick, whatever. Colin Coward throwing out there that LeBron to the Golden State Warriors is like he's not ruling it. He's not saying it's happening, but he's saying it makes sense and all this stuff. No, it doesn't. Like it doesn't even seem like a fit. You could be like, how could you? How could you say LeBron James doesn't fit on a particular team? Well, as long as Steve Kerr is the coach of that team. 
and you still have Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and Kevon Looney, and the way they run their offense, that offense is 180 degrees different. The the way they've run their offense since they've had this mini dynasty, which is nonstop ball movement, high pick and rolls, constantly moving, constantly setting picks. LeBron doesn't play like that. LeBron is going to be 39 years old next year. He has to take possessions off offensively where he will just stand there and take time. He just he has to. Now we find out he played with a torn tendon in his left foot for the last two months of the season. We knew it was bad. The first two doctors he went to told him he should get surgery and he was done for the season. And he went to a third doctor and got some advice or whatever and played with a torn tendon in his foot for the last two months and did what he did. But this whole notion that LeBron could fit in with the Golden State Warriors, not with the offense they currently run, not even close. LeBron is not a guy that is setting screens for other people or having screens set from him because he's in constant movement and coming off pick. That's just, that's not the way he, no fit whatsoever. I think just like the sports media likes to do, What's a splashy headline? Three words. LeBron, Golden State. That's a splashy headline. So, of course, when you see that, you're like, oh, wow, is this a possibility? And now everyone's thinking it's a possibility. First, I don't even think it's any close to being a possibility. And two, it's not a good fit. So I would get that out of your head. Now, something I said, like I said, I've been pushing off for since Sunday because this came up in gambling baseball. And it's something that you can never predict, because why would you? But the Texas Rangers, who are the highest-scoring team in Major League Baseball this year, believe it or not, is a team that's been one of the worst franchises, if not the worst team in baseball overall for the last five years. They lead Major League Baseball in runs scored and average runs per game. And through the day before yesterday, they led the league in run differential. I think Tampa might have passed them last night. But that's neither here nor there. An interesting statistic, gambling-wise, is this. Seven weeks ago, April 9th, if you would have bet $100 on the Sunday game between the Rangers and the Cubs, that would have won you back $264. I'm saying, sorry, Rangers and the over. So a par, a $100 parlay, Rangers to the over back on April 9th, which was a Sunday. You would have won back $264. If you would have rolled over your bets every Sunday for the last seven weeks and just bet the Rangers and the over every Sunday for the last seven weeks, you would currently have $317,000 off an original bet. Now, what does that mean? Well, your first bet, you bet 100, you won 264. So now you have $364 in your account. The next Sunday, Rangers to the over, you take your 364 and that's your parlay. That paid $1,400. So now you have 364 plus 1442. Now you have 1806 in your account. The Sunday after that, April 23rd, you take your 1806 and you do a two-team parlay, the Rangers to the over, 
and that paid only 469 because they were such a big favorite. Jacob DeGrom was on the mound. So now you have 2275 in your account. And the following Sunday, April 30th, you bet the Rangers to the over. 2275 paid $6,600. So now you have $8,900 in your account. The next Sunday, May 7th, you take that $8,900 and you do a two team parlay. Rangers to the over. That paid $27,944. Now you've got $36,000 in your account. You put it to May 14th. Rangers to the over. $36,890. Two team parlay. Paid $77,000. Got you to $114,442. So I'm guessing anybody who started with $100, you might have stopped at $8,900. You might have stopped at the $3,600 after five weeks. You might have stopped at $114. But if you had the balls and said, you know what, I'm going to take my $114,000. And this past Sunday, May 21st, you decided to go Rangers to the over again. It hit. (laughs) So you'd be at $317,000 off a $100 bet. But like I said, who has the wherewithal back on Sunday, April 9th to say, you know what, I think for the next seven Sundays, betting the Rangers to the over is going to win. And I'm just going to take my winnings and keep rolling it over. So while it is a ridiculous stat, I think it's funny. <laughs> I certainly didn't do it. I haven't bet a baseball game all year. I just, I don't like betting baseball. I did at one point, then I stopped. It's too, just like anything. It just, you, you have your ups and downs. I mean, I've had unbelievable streaks in baseball and I've had unbelievable, both hot and cold streaks. But yeah, that's my Rangers. That's my Rangers gambling story. I've been holding for five days since this past Sunday was now seven weeks in a row. They've hit Rangers to the over on Sunday. I'll keep an eye out for it this Sunday. So, I mean, if they hit again and you took your current, what, at $317,000, three, um, it's $317,789. And we don't know what the line is yet on Sunday's game, uh, what a two-team parlay would pay, but if it let's just say it's a regular let's say both the rangers are minus 110 to win the game and the over under and the over is minus 110 uh that would pay you know $1 pays 260 so 317,000 times 2.6 you're looking at um 634 and then another uh 168 or so no, one uh, 167. I mean, you're looking at almost you'll be at almost 800,000, but nobody's done this. So I just want to point it out because I like gambling nuggets like that. And finally, I don't know how many of you follow golf, but I'm sure you've seen the story. I'm sure you've seen this guy on your TV in the last four days. If you watch sports at all, Michael Block, who was a club pro at Arroyo Tribuco golf course in, in South Orange County, Won a club pro tournament, so got to play in the PGA Championship. And by finishing 15th, he tied for 15th. He got an invite back to next year's PGA Championship. If he would have finished top five, he would have got an invite to the Masters. But you've probably seen him. He's done. So on Sunday, he makes a putt on 18 that keeps him in the top 15 and qualifies him for next year he gets to play the pga championship this guy is a club pro who charges 125 dollars a lesson he had had 25 
he had had 30 times he's gotten to play on the PGA Tour, and he had only made five cuts and had made $32,000 total in his career playing on the PGA Tour. By that top 15 finish in the PGA this past weekend, he made $288,000. So I'm sure you saw him very emotional on the course, off the course. You probably saw him on GMA, every freaking show he was on that had him. But one of the things that he got invited to do was play in this week's tournament, which is here in Fort Worth, Texas, at the Colonial. And there's no such thing as a lock in sports. Nothing is ever guaranteed. Anybody can tell you, I know this is going to happen. No, you don't know. You're just guessing. Or you, you have a strong inkling towards something. I had a very strong inkling towards the fact that Michael Block was going to have an absolute horrible two days at Colonial. Well, he started out yesterday with an 11 over 81. And I, I, it's not because he's a horrible golfer and I wanted to, I wanted him to do bad. I'm just saying he had so much media attention the last three days. He's living on cloud nine. There was no way he was going to come back from a top 15 finish and come back out again and put up a good round. Now, did I think he was going to blow up and shoot an 81? No, but I was thinking he was probably going to shoot five or six over and he wasn't going to make the cut, but even Vegas had him at his minus 250 to even make the cut. So you you would have won some good money if he actually did make the cut. But clearly, he's not going to make the cut. He's dead last after one round. He is four strokes worse than any than the, than the next guy, than the guy who's in second to last. So he's not going to make the cut. But I know it's late of me saying this because I should have said this before the tournament started. And I did, but I said it to one of my friends. I said, there is no way this guy makes the cut this week. He, he, it's such a good story, but his mind is in so many different places. He's been living on cloud nine for three days. Who knows if he even practiced very much. The guy's been on every single show in America. He is the talk of golf. And then he blew up and shot an 11 over yesterday. It sucks for him. He's not going to make the cut unless he shoots like a 60 today, which I can't imagine he's going to have a 21-stroke difference from day one to day two. But great story, but you knew it had to come to an end. I wish it wasn't such a crashing end like this where he's dead last in the field, but things happen. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. Please hit that subscribe button because that helps the most. Hope you have a great sports weekend. Let's see if the Boston Celtics can force a game seven, and let's see if the Dallas Stars can maybe uh, force a game six back here in Dallas on Monday night. So should be a great sports weekend. I hope you're watching. I hope you're excited for it. And, yeah, that's where we're at. (laughs) I don't even know how to end the podcast. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Like I said, rate, subscribe, review, but definitely subscribe. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.